name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints, you guys know my strategy. Whenever we sing a hymn like that, I always quote a stanza or so, so that you say, oh, that's why he had us sing all of that. But I I couldn't pick one to quote from this just because there's so many. I mean, look at this thing. I lay in fetters groaning. Thou comes to set me free. I stood my shame bemoaning. Thou comes to honor me. Or, or in stanza four, love caused thy incarnation. Love brought thee, O Jesus, down to me. Thy thirst for my salvation procured my... Can you even imagine that? Jesus thirsting for our salvation? Or then, verse six, this comfort upon comfort. Ye need not toil and languish or ponder day and night how in the midst of anguish ye draw him by your might for he comes he comes all willing moved by his love alone your woes and troubles stilling for all to him are known it is not our efforts and our striving and our works and our uh, our prayers and our longing that, that brings the Lord Jesus down to us. No, He comes because He delights in coming to us, in saving us, in giving us His gifts. That's why the season of Advent, even though it is a season of repentance, is a season of joy. Because Jesus comes to us. And this is our delight. We had, and we had this before the service too, but we have last week the fact that Jesus continues to come to us. We have in the next two weeks the fact that Jesus came at Christmas, incarnate in the flesh. But we have today that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the quick and the dead. And I have for you a question about this. And I want you to consider this question. I want you to think about it. Roll it over in your mind. Is this good news or bad news for you? That Jesus is coming again. Now think about this a little while. While we do a little catechism stuff, a little review of the teaching of the Lord's second coming. First, and we should just simply know this. In fact, in fact, if we can just bring this to our minds this morning, we will be doing well to remember that it's just a plain old promise in the Scripture that Jesus is coming back. The, the, the New Testament is constantly holding this knowledge before us. Consider Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where the angels say to the apostles as they sit there staring up into the sky where Jesus had ascended into heaven, the angel says to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Or Revelation 1, 7, Behold, He, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Amen. Or Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32, the words of our Lord Jesus Himself. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate peoples one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It is important to stress this, to imprint it upon our minds. In fact, we do it every Sunday when we confess the creed that he's coming again in glory to judge the quick and the dead because the Scriptures teach also that this second coming of our Lord Jesus will be doubted by many as it draws near. 
Peter writes. This is Second Peter chapter 3. Peter writes. Now, this is the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they, the scoffers, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, Noah's flood. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The closer that the day of our Lord's return draws near, the more that scoffers will come doubting His return. And this is not just out there, but also in here. We have this very sinful inclination in our own flesh to forget that the Lord Jesus is coming in glory or to live like He's not going to return at any time. We act like this world, like this sinful universe as we know it, won't ever come to an end that it will never be dissolved with fire and destroyed. And we go about our merry way. So it is good for us to remember that the Lord is coming and that this will be doubted. A third point about the second coming, and this is also fairly important to remember, is that it could happen at any moment, at any time. In fact, perhaps before the sermon is finished or before our service today or before the sun sets tonight. This is the doctrine that the theologians call the doctrine of imminence, that the Lord could return at any time. There is nothing left to be fulfilled. All is ready. At any moment, the trumpets could sound and the heavens could burst open. And our Lord Jesus could gather all people before him. Now we want to keep this teaching in the forefront of our minds because it undoes all of the false teachers and all of the false prophets of the Lord's return. You all have probably heard at one time or another a person predicting the end of the world. These, You know what I'm talking about. These false teachers that pick the month or the year or even the day that our Lord Jesus will come back, even though He has so plainly taught us. Uh, this is Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. Still, uh, a false, false prophets come and try to predict the time. I remember... Um, this would have been uh, 19, 1992. And I had, I had read an article that talked about how all of the biblical prophecies pointed to 1992 as the year of our Lord's return. They didn't know when it was going to be during the year, but just uh, that it was going to be that year. And I happened to read that article and it was something like December 22nd. <laughs> so the year was there wasn't much left. Just a week. In fact, I remember this so plainly because we were staying, my whole family was staying at our grandparents' house and, and my grandmother had one of these clocks 
from uh, from Switzerland or something, a ca- wall calendar where you slide the, the numbers up and down depending on what day it was. And every morning I would wake up and I would slide the calendar down and I would say, oh, uh, one day closer to the Lord's return, uh, December 27th, December 28th, December 29th, December 30th. And now it's New Year's Eve and, and I know uh, the Lord Jesus is going to return in the next seven hours. <laughs> he doesn't have that much time. I had a tough time falling asleep that night, as you could imagine. And then I woke up the next day and thought, well, it's still got to be 1992 somewhere in the world. (laughs) This is a dangerous sort of thing. And we know that it's wrong because these preachers of the Lord's return are using history and news events to predict His return as if Jesus is waiting for something to happen before He can come back. Do you see? It's If you have an interpretation of the Scriptures that require, for example, the temple in Jerusalem to be built before Jesus comes, then this means that Jesus couldn't come back today because the temple's not rebuilt. Or if you have a wrong interpretation of the Scriptures that says that the Antichrist has to come and put microchips in everyone's forehead so they can buy milk before Jesus comes back, then Jesus couldn't come back today because most of us don't have those microchips yet. You you see that, that, that all of these interpretations of the Scriptures destroy the imminence of the Lord's second coming. This, in fact, is one of the problems of the whole uh, Left Behind series of books and movies. One of the problems. It has, a, it has a theological system that requires all sorts of things to happen before Jesus comes back. And all of this stands against the plain Word of God and the, and the command of our Lord Jesus Himself, namely that He says, Be on guard! Watch. Be ready. Expect at any time His return in glory. Stay awake at all times, it says in our Gospel text. Praying that you may have the strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. If the Lord's return is imminent, and it is imminent, then the Lord's church lives in constant readiness, high alert. We are to remain awake. And what does this mean, to remain awake, to be watching? It doesn't mean that we open our newspapers to the international news section each morning to see if the Antichrist has been appointed yet. No, it means rather, and this is straight from our Gospel text, Luke 21, it means that we pray. There's something in the Gospel text today, and I'm a little bit ashamed to admit to you that I have missed it my whole life until this week and looking at this text. Our Lord Jesus gives very specific instructions on what it means to be ready for His coming. He says this, that we should be praying that we have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I have to admit to you all, that I have never prayed that before, that the Lord would give me the strength to escape the things that are coming upon the earth, or that He would give my family strength to escape, and that He would give you all and the members of this church strength to escape the things coming. And yet the Lord Jesus has commanded this prayer, and I commend it to you, that you would add it to your prayers today and often. Lord, give me the strength to endure all the troubles that are coming on the earth. 
And when You return in glory, grant that I and my family and my brothers and sisters would Christ would be able to stand before You. And what is that strength? The strength that the Lord gives to stand before Him. Is it a life filled with good works, with great accomplishments? No, that strength is nothing other than faith. Trust in the Lord's promise. For by faith in the blood of Jesus, we are made strong to endure all troubles, even the troubles that come at the end of the world. For by faith, our sins are forgiven. By, by faith, we are given the strength of a good conscience. By faith, we pass from death to life, from judgment to righteousness, from God's enemies to His friends. By faith, the Lord Jesus makes us holy and He fashions us, makes us fit to stand before Him and see Him face to face. By faith, we will stand before Him. And this, dear friends, brings us back to this original question. Is the second coming of our Lord Jesus good news or bad news for you? We can let Jesus answer the question for us. And then, says Jesus, Luke 21, 27, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is coming. Not your destruction. Not your judgment. Not your tasting of God's wrath. Your Jesus draws near. Your salvation draws near. Your joy and eternal life draws near. The end of all of your temptation and all of your sickness and all of your fear and all of your death draws near. And nearer and nearer every instant, your redemption draws near. And that, dear saints, that is indeed good news. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.